Hi, this is Paul. Recently, John from What Do You Meme, some of you might be acquainted with that channel. It's a kind of, kind of a Christian YouTuber channel. I talked a little bit about Christian YouTube before. I don't watch a lot of Christian YouTube, frankly, um, but I, I try to at least keep, keep tabs on it. I've seen some of his videos. He's done some commenting on Jordan Peterson. Didn't really know much about him. He's been on Unbelievable a couple of times. But he was on Michaela Peterson's channel, and I thought they had a, a really wonderful conversation. And I wanted to play a little bit of it. Um, he gets into his story. Apparently, he had some hearing loss, and then he had cochlear implants. And those implants meant that he was deaf for quite a while. And as he was deaf, he started getting into internet chat rooms, and that eventually led, well, he began to see some patterns. It was, it was like that for over a year. Um, it was about a year and some when I started being able to hear again. And But I had to relearn it, and it was a slow, long process. So it was during that time, though, that um, I started getting online and started just, like, debating atheists and stuff in some of these, um, these um, Facebook groups on Facebook. And so I was doing that for a while, and there was a guy that was – um, always kind of watching me, or I mean, always talking with me and, and watching me in these debates. And he's like, you should start a YouTube channel. And he was a guy that lived in Australia. And I was like, uh, I didn't really watch a lot of YouTube. And I was like, I don't really know what that would be. I never thought about it before. And he's like, look, I'm going to send you a camera and all this stuff you need to get started. Huh. He's like, just do it and give it a shot. And so I did. And then, yeah, and we ended up here a couple years later. So uh, it, it's a delightful story. Um, the guy's generosity There, there's obviously a lot that you could say about something like this. And I know sometimes when uh, some people sort of critique estuary, they are disturbed by sort of the unguided process. But number one, uh, we don't have enough control to guide all these processes of all these people out there. And number two, so much of what it takes is a little helpful, loving, kind encouragement in a good direction and uh, good things will happen. And again, some of the some of the stuff that I, I've seen on his channel, he's not. I don't. I don't. I don't know that he's done Bible college or seminary or anything like this. I think he's for the most part self-taught. But his his channel is sort of honest and heartfelt, and he um, lets people know what he thinks. And what's really nice about this conversation is they're both that way. There are some commonalities between both of their stories. Of course, Michaela had uh, tremendous medical issues during her childhood that you can read about at the, at the end of Jordan's 12 Rules for Life. And I've talked before about some of the, the videos that she's made describing her path to Christianity. And what was so, what was, what was so valuable about this video is here you have two honest people sharing their experiences. They're not trained theologians. They're, they're not clergy. They don't really have a dog in the fight, but they're just sharing with their audiences what they have discovered and what they learned. And I, I found the whole thing not only delightful in terms of its honesty, but valuable for clergy and others watching this because it's sort of an unvarnished view in 
not even just clergy, I think a, a lot of people who are out there and, and might not, they might be deep within a church and they have very little experience with, with converts who come to Christianity. They might have very little knowledge of what the process is like, how sometimes it sort of feels chaotic. Um, it, it also sometimes feels just really led by the Holy Spirit because there's no other way to describe it. And, and that's what this conversation is full of, and it's really delightful. Wow. Was this another Christian? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a Christian guy in Australia. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So have you been a Christian your entire life? Were you brought up in a Christian family? No, I wasn't. No, so we weren't like, we never went to church or anything again. We never even talked about God. And like my whole time kind of growing up, um, I was first introduced to the faith when I was 15. Um, and so I went to a church with my aunt. Um, but it was weird because I was introduced to this kind of Christianity that like now I just, you know, just don't agree with it. All. I just don't believe any of it. Um, and, and again, this is when I listen to when I listen to him talk, I think about how many other people that I have met that have stories like his, except now he's a YouTuber. He's got a significantly sized channel and, you know, this is who he is. But it was really kind of cultish like and it was really legalistic. And so, like, it, it kind of left, like, a weird kind of bad taste in my It's also interesting that, you know, his experience, not, yeah, I'm sure in details it was quite different, but in in other ways, similar to, let's say, John Verveke's past. And people have pasts like this, and they respond to it in very different ways. My mouth afterwards. And so after that, I was kind of just kind of more agnostic, like, sometimes believing in God, sometimes not believing in God. And then eventually I... um. Um, sort of come, I took a philosophy of religion class in college. And in philosophy of religion, we went through the arguments for God's existence um, and that sort of thing. And then that's when I started becoming convinced that God existed, um, one particular argument. Now, now, again, it's interesting that on this channel, I've, I've said many times, apologetics is of limited value. Uh, limited doesn't mean zero. And you will regularly find people, especially on the internet, I think, people who have sort of a certain disposition, a certain personality type, they're a certain way that these these arguments for against the existence of God make an impact and really direct people's lives. The Kalam cosmological argument, I just was persuaded by, and then that's what kind of started me believing in God, and then I started visiting a bunch of different churches, and throughout visiting these different churches, I would start asking people questions about why they believe that their belief was true and why they believe other beliefs were false. And I keep getting all these kind of similar answers, no matter what type of church I went to. And I mean, now, again, I want to point out that what's been happening in these churches and happening in the conversations is conversation. This is someone with honest questions, seeking answers. And most often when you hear situations like this, it's not that, oh, one person gave me all the answers and so I locked on to that. It's usually much more messy, many more people, more time. And of course, in the telling of this story, I don't know how much time, but it's it's all sort of compressed. I mean, I went to like the Church of Scientology. I went to like every kind of church you could oh, think wow. of. Yeah, and kept in the same kind of answers, you know, like their life got better or, um, you know, there's a bunch of kind of um, things that happened in their life that was like showed them that this church was true. So it was a lot of stuff like that. And then eventually I came. Now, now, what he that stage too is not uncommon. I've I've mentioned in a few videos now that I've I'm almost finished. I got about twenty minutes left actually. My we we didn't finish it the other night and uh, waiting for my wife to come home from her field trip before we we actually finish the series. But 
if you if you start the vow on HBO Max and you watch the first episode of it, you'll see all of these people that they're they've they've gone to Nexium and they're listening to they're listening to Keith Raniere and they're listening to I forget her name uh, Salzman um, and and you know oh their life has changed and this is this is this has transformed my life and these are not uncommon experiences for human beings in many different in many different places in many different ways now of course with Nexium it all sort of comes undone as the cultist nature of this happens but those kinds of experiences are not uncommon that now obviously christians look back on them and talk about well the hand of the lord bringing them but those again these these kinds of transformative experiences happen with human beings what happened with him obviously is it puts him on a path that says wow there's you know religion is valid and michaela's story is is very similar i've i've covered it in some uh, in a past video her story is is very similar and she starts praying to god and things start start getting straight but that's only the beginning of the journey crossed the evidence for the resurrection online and started studying that and was convinced by the the um, argument for the resurrection interesting okay so you even went the scientology route and you said you had similar yeah. answers kind of across the board there's also a little lesson there in in um, in communication that sometimes it's fun to say something dramatic. Like I even looked at Scientology. The danger is that that dramatic thing sticks in the mind of the listener. You, you might, um, you know, one of the one of the staple parts of the Freddie and Paul show when Nancy's around is her sermon report, and it's always very interesting for me to listen to what sticks. Getting good sermon feedback is actually a, a, a surprisingly difficult thing because you're in a relationship with the people and they don't want to insult you if they fell asleep or they thought it was boring or it wasn't helpful or something like that. People are kind and they, they want to say nice things, but it's very helpful getting a sense of, well, what, what actually did you hear? And of course, with all of that, the Scientology thing sort of popped into Michaela's mind why they believed yeah. whatever they were believing was right. So what would, what did that yeah. answer look like? Yeah, so it was mostly just those um, ones where people say they, their life has changed since they started joining this church or following God. Um, or, and then they would say like there was all these kind of, usually like some sort of set of like coincidences or something, things that would happen that they couldn't explain elsewise. And then okay. they would conclude, yeah, conclude that that was the reason why their church was true and they knew that God existed. Wow. And is this, this is for everyone, including like Scientology? This is just across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Across the board. Yeah. That's why it was so interesting to me too, because it's like, you, you... And, and again, this just, we're human beings and, and <laughs> we are religious by nature. When you start doing that, cause you don't, I guess like, I guess I, at least I don't think like, I wouldn't expect that, you know? And so when I started talking to all these people, it was really strange to me because I said, man, there's, there's something that's kind of embedded in human psychology or, or, I mean, who knows the explanation for it? Perhaps maybe um, God is using, you know, I mean, God is giving these people signs and stuff, but the problem with it is that like, for my, in my mind, it was that all of these different religions couldn't be true because they were all mutually exclusive, you know? And so that was like the big problem in my mind. And so that's why I, that was kind of like my first kind of introduction into like looking at religion and stuff way more in depth. And that's when I started getting online more and studying these different religions and stuff and what they believe and so on. Okay, so then what made you settle on Christianity over anything else? Yeah, yeah this is a long process too because 
Um, it's a lot of thinking and stuff. Even when- it would have been nice if he had said just how long, because, it, I mean, again, could be years. When I started doing the debates and stuff, part of it was me trying to figure out what I believed and stuff and looking at the evidence and then testing it with, you know, uh, my arguments. With- also notice the process. The process involves thinking, talking, interacting. Again, for me, this is this is part of why I, you know, helped found Estuary, because I think... And, and, it, and it shouldn't just be, oh, stuff specifically religion or stuff about the Bible. We're whole creatures. The, the, all of these little bits and pieces of our world have to fit together. And it's a continual process that we're, we're always working on to sort of put all these pieces back together. The people who disagreed and stuff like that. Um, but it was a long process. But really, I think it was like ultimately the historicity of the resurrection. Um, I became convinced. I mean, I think that. I mean, all historians agree that Jesus was a real person who existed in history, you know, and when you follow these sort of um, objective kind of standards and methods that they use in order to come to um, uh, historical facts, I think that when you do that, you come across a lot of facts that I think is only explained by the fact that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. And so for me, that was like um, the thing where I spent a lot of time thinking about it too, like trying to run it around in my head, trying to like argue it with myself and with other people and so on. And I just slowly became more convinced of it. And I kind of got to the point where I realized that Christianity makes the most sense of all of reality. So it's not just like... Now, I want to I make the, the point here, too, that both, both of them are sort of in a modernist frame. And even though I, I, talk a lot of, I talk a lot about these frames and the recession of modernity, just because it's receding doesn't mean it still doesn't work for people, okay? And it, it's sort of like um, it's sort of sort of like a, an old car. Well, just because it's not chuck full of emissions or it isn't electric car or a hybrid or anything doesn't mean it doesn't work. And there's there's a sense in which both of these individuals are 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 working through a modern frame. And so these these constructs of objective, subjective, um, evidence for apologetics. This stuff still works for people, and it's a it's a framework through which they, like all of us, try to make sense of their world. You know, this external reality as well, like say the beginning of the universe. You know, when you look at that, or when you look at like why is there something rather than nothing, like consciousness. You know, when you look at that, um, but also with your internal world as well. So with your internal world too, you're like, why are humans this way? Why do we have this impulse where we have this like near universal agreement that you shouldn't do things that are wrong, like steal, kill, and rob, and lie, and all these things, but we still do them. This is, again, C.S. Lewis's argument from morality that you can find at the beginning of mere Christianity. Those things, you know, and so like it made sense to me of both the objective world and also my subjective world as well. Aren't there other religions that kind of abide by the same rules, like people, that people are bad, or at least killing, stealing, murder, all that is bad and that you shouldn't do it, but we still do it? Doesn't that line up? And, and again, um, you know, the the appendix to, mirror, to uh, the abolition of man, um, and, and he, I mean, he deals with these kinds of arguments all the time. I mean, this is, again, how he became a Christian by, by working through these things. With a number yeah. of other religions? Yeah, but I don't understand the explanation for why that's the case in these other okay. religions, right? So, yeah, because I think in Christianity, if you have the view of like the sin nature 
and how we're all like, um, you know, subject to the to being slaves to the sin nature, then it makes a lot more sense in my opinion. And then Christianity is the only religion that actually solves this problem as well. You know what I mean? And so, so it's like you have this problem of like this perfectly holy God. And then you have, and then so it's like, how could we live in the presence of a perfectly holy God, um, a perfectly moral God? How can we live in his presence unless we two are perfect? You know, and so I think that Christianity actually takes the idea of sin a lot more seriously because it's like God is so holy and he's so morally perfect and righteous that in order to be in his presence, we would also need to be holy and righteous. And so it's like, how do you solve that problem? Like, what is There's a lot of Tim Keller in this one. <laughs> the problem and what is the solution and that's what it really boils down to in my mind and it's like christianity solves it because um only in christianity do you have god who is also perfect of course god is perfect coming into our world putting on human flesh and coming into our world and living that perfect life that we couldn't live so that way when uh, and then giving us that life as a, you know the sacrifice for us and so when he's given us his life i mean given us his life um in our place then we can actually stand before God with his imputed righteousness is what it's called, the doctrine of imputed righteousness. But we have that righteousness now, so that way we can be in heaven, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. This is So this is where I've had a difficult time understanding. Why would the act of sacrifice, like so Jesus, is, which is, which is he's basically sacrificing himself. He agrees to do this. Yeah. Why does that save people? Yeah. And it's a terrific question. And he, he gives a fairly standard uh, Tim Keller answer to it. Um, I, I'm, the, the point of this video isn't to delve into that question. Um, and, and in fact, a, a lot of some of what her father had done, the last, the, the, the video that he released in April of 2018 on on Easter 2018 or 2017 2017 because I spoke with him in April of 2017 and and when I was when I spoke with him he said yeah I've got a video that's coming out that you'll be interested in I was very interested in it because part of what's part of what's difficult to to work through is that I mean, people might listen to this and say, well, well, you're a Calvinist minister. Don't you agree with them? Yes, I do. In fact, all of all of those models that he's talking about, substitutionary atonement, um, you know, read the Hudberg Catechism. That's I, I think they are all excellent, good models that relay the the work that God has done in language we can understand. But but these questions are are, are difficult for modern people to deal with. And so um, if you want to listen to the video, you can. I don't want to take too much time on that. The part of the video I was really interested in, that I'm really interested in, is, again, because both of these, both of the, what, what's beautiful about this individual is that both of them are sharing their stories. Both of them are working through their stuff. They're coming up with answers. Now, I, I know a lot of people would like to rush in and say, well, well, let me give you, let me give you a better answer. Um, you know, in many ways, the best answer they have is the answer they have, and it isn't. The, human beings aren't constructed in such a way that we sort of give answers. Now, 
both of them have sort of been working through these things and piecing it together. And so even though, let's say, his, um, when you listen to him, he's used a lot of Tim Keller. He talks about William Lane Craig and Tim Keller, and those two have been really helpful in sort of constructing his world. And Michaela is also constructing her world. And this process of world construction isn't just sort of like in the matrix, putting something in the back of your head and downloading C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller or William Lane Craig or something like that. All of the idiosyncrasies of your life have to be, have to work with what you're finding out there in the world. And so each of their models is unique and individual. And it has to be that way because that's how they work it. And all of their models have sort of um, fuzzy edges where they're still working on things. And this is true of me too. Uh, my whole channel is about me talking out loud, continuing the process that both of them began, usually again, four P's of knowing, with all of the particularities of their life and working it through, finding conversation partners, challenging each other. I, I, this video so shows the process of putting together your worldview and in both of their cases, and in my case, coming to faith, having a living, growing faith. What does it mean to continue to wrestle with the big questions and continue constructing a worldview that not only works for now, but continues to grow into the future? C.S. Lewis's words further up and further in. Now let's, let's jump to the church conversation because that, again, just so much honesty in this conversation there. Our life and in the last year, we were in Tennessee and things, and he kept pushing me to go to church. And I'd go to church, and I'd be like, I was, yeah. but I did, I did land on uh, Christianity, and one, a whole bunch of really strange things happened. All right, I don't want to jump too far ahead uh, because some of this stuff is some of this stuff is is quite good. Well, okay, 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 yeah, kinda. So, okay, you, okay I, I get that as a mediation between okay i can kind of understand yeah. that i've just had a hard time like uh these things resonate with me on a, a level that i can't exactly describe but i've had a hard right. time understanding why is it sacrifice why is that yeah. that's what saves you who who was it that i was talking to uh, i can't remember i have so many conversations don't know if it was recorded or not recorded but it, it's always in these liminal areas that that we grow and 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 in many ways god meets us and and helps us into the future and the, the process again is it's messy it's chaotic but it involves people and question and answer and thinking and then and then finding things and making them our own yeah yeah it's it really is because it's complicated of, <laughs> it is no it is i think it's because you you would need like kind of like going back to that example what I said about like being in uh, a perfect God's presence, you need perfection of that sort, right? And so if you aren't perfect, the way you become rightly related to God is through the, the um, a sacrifice of someone that is perfect. And so like Jesus is the fulfillment of, of um, you know, the New Testament. So Jesus, right out of the Heidelberg Catechism. Jesus becomes that unblemished lamb, that perfect sacrifice for us uh, because his life is perfect. And so it's his imputed righteousness that we get from believing. And so if we believe, we get that imputed righteousness on our behalf. So that way God sees, because of God's perfect mercy and justice as well too, right? Um, um, 
yeah, I'm jumping over topics. I'm sorry, but on his perfect, um, okay, good. So his perfect, um, so God is perfect in justice, right? And so if a judge is perfectly just, he has to punish every single wrongdoing, right? And it's also the thing that's separating us between God, right? Um, but God is also perfectly merciful. And so because he's perfectly merciful, he made a way for us to be rightly related to him. And that was through the sacrifice of Jesus. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so Jesus took on the punishment in that aspect. Cool. Okay. I'm glad we delved into that a little bit. I think that's what stuck. Yeah. Like w when I first, so last summer, I had the same kind of experience that you said you saw everywhere, which was yeah. a whole bunch of really strange things happened. They like, they lined up and then when I- Okay, before we go into this, again, why, why share this? <laughs> this is what ministry is like. This is what conversations are like. This is- the wheels are turning, but there's there's many there's many different. Okay, we're in video, and you know they don't want to. We're in a conversation. I don't want to auger down too much into details, and so this is this, this is the real deal. This is how it's done. I started believing my life. You said you saw everywhere, which was yeah. a whole bunch of really strange things happened. They like they lined up, and then when I started believing, my life changed. So it was like yeah, too yeah. many weird things that I couldn't explain happened until God was the most logical explanation. And then once I started believing, my life changed for the better. So that sounds like yeah. what people experience regardless of whatever religion they're looking at. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did, la I did land on uh, Christianity. And one of the things that kind of had me like stuck a little bit, and I started going to this church. I, I finally found a church. I wanted to talk to you about this. I, I just love this conversation. It's so honest. It is so true. And I know a bunch of you who watch this channel, you're you're gonna have you're gonna have critiques that are miles long on this, on this aspect or that aspect. But this is real life. This is real life, and these are real people, and this is this is them finding their way and putting it together. And I know a bunch of you will have ideas about this church or that church or or no church or this religion or that religion. And it's like, you can have all those ideas all you want. Uh, human beings make their way in this way. Too about the importance of finding a church because um, my husband, so he's been Christian for his entire life. And in the last year we were in Tennessee and things and he kept pushing me to go to church and I go to church and I'd be like, I wasn't, it wasn't resonating. The pastor I felt was posturing. Like it felt like I was listening to a cult. Like it's just, I had a whole bunch of warning things yeah. go off in my head. And I'm like, no, look, it's, it's not, oh, here's my theological framework or here's my philosophical framework or no, it's intuitive. Oh, this doesn't feel, doesn't feel authentic. And you know, there's a lot of dumping on mega churches. I'm so glad we had James Wellman on the channel. And his book, High on God, I think is a tremendous book, um, both, you know, both in the, the is tremendously fair book, both in the value and the critique of the megachurch. I should probably have James on again. I, I love that conversation. That was an absolutely wonderful conversation. So Tripp, if you're listening to this, let's let's do it again. I, I want to do so many. I, I want, I want to do so many things. I just do. I just do. And it's like, well, Paul, why don't you quit your job and just do this? No, I don't want to do that either because I love doing the in-person things are, 
are so delightful and so valuable. We had estuary last night here at church. It was just a great estuary meeting. We had we were, we were split up into two different groups, and of course we had some brand new people and had a whole bunch of third timers. We had a few of the old guard, and the conversations were just awesome. They were just awesome conversations, and it was so much fun. I love the local church. I love ministry at the local level. There's there's nothing like it. Yeah, YouTube is fun, and I I love I love having I love with love hanging with the randos and doing the just chatting and going to the Discord. I love all of this stuff, but um, there's nothing like real life, local church, church on the ground, people doing their thing. It's it's just the best. I'm not that interested in, not to like talk negatively about churches, but I wasn't that interested in going to like a gymnasium and listening to somebody. Go ahead, Michaela, tell your truth. I appreciate you don't want to talk negative. And um, most pastors worth their salt will not be offended. If you get a pastor that's thin-skinned or too easily offended, find another pastor. Posture under fluorescent lights for my Sunday. I was like, it's not, yeah. sorry, yeah. I can't even fake me liking this for you. I was like, right. I can't do it, I'm All pretty right. disagreeable. <laughs> and, we, and we looked around. <laughs> uh, again, what we know of Michaela is, if you got to negotiate a contract, have her be your manager. She's pretty disagreeable. She drives a hard bargain. Can't imagine what what it's like between her and her husband. This imagine this 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 guy. He's grown up in the faith and he's gone to church his whole life and and now married to Michaela. And I I think it's I think it's awesome. I I I pray I pray happiness and blessing on them and just again just like the marriage videos we're making this is iron sharpening iron and off you go. And and then we found this pastor in like uh, just north of Miami, and he's like he's good he's great. So yeah. we're going there and that's amazing and I and that's the process again. One of the most common questions I get from people is. Well, okay. Well, I want to believe and I don't believe. Okay. Well, you're probably going to have to be embedded in a community of belief because we believe what the people around us believe. So you're going to need to find a church. You're going to need to find a community. You're going to need to get in somewhere. Well, how do I? I visited some places and they're weird and weird. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. It's a process. And that's, in fact, in the church world, why you call it church shopping. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of stuff about the consumerist stuff. That is, is not great, but that's what we've got, and that's the process. And blessed are you if you live in a place where there are lots of different churches and lots of different pastors because you can probably find one that sort of fits. And again, the fit isn't just sort of like, oh, here's a fit. It, it's much more like marriage where you, again, look at all the marriage conversations that we're, that we're doing. You, you find a place to start. And as Catherine has said so eloquently, you find a church to build on. And, and the point of the church is not that, well, they are just going to give you all their needs. No, actually, similar to marriage, once you get into a church, although you're not married to a church for your whole life, I'm going to say that right now. Once you get into church, you're going to, it's a, it's a dynamic process. It's, it's not only how the church feeds you and ministers to you, but the church as a place where you can minister to others because that's at least 50% of the equation. In fact, the longer you're there, the more 
that church is not just a place that you receive, but a, but a venue and a platform from which you can minister out to others. That's vitally important as a Christian because, again, Christianity is the Son of God comes to earth and gives himself as not only a sacrifice, he's talked about that a little bit, but um, a living sacrifice, which is the, which is the ministry itself. I don't get any like weird culty vibes. Um, yeah. What's been, <laughs> what's been your ex experience with churches? Man, I I so interesting because because I didn't grow up in a church going home or anything like that. Church yeah. has always been weird to me in some ways. Yeah, you me know? too. It's like, yeah, it's the strangest thing because it's like, man, like the facade. It feels like that a lot of people put on. It's like you know you have like all the Ned Flanders <laughs> type Christians yeah. you know, and stuff like that. It's Okay, let's let's be a little bit of fair. Let's be a little bit fair to the church people. Churches have cultures. Churches have ways of behaving. Outside the church has ways of behaving. If you're not acculturated to the inside culture, it's going to feel weird. It just is. In time, you'll learn dual languages. Now, I I grew up in church, but I grew up in a very unusual church in that I was mentioning this before I grew up in a place where so my father and my 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 father moved to Patterson and he, he the other call he had was to northern Alberta so I could have been much more like Jordan Peterson born I, I could have been a Canadian I could have been an Albertan but nope grew up in Patterson so those bring out your bingo cards there's going to be some rich stuff here in this video so Patterson, New Jersey, African-Americans inhabiting, you know, leaving the Jim Crow South, coming to Patterson. You, if, you know, um, if you know Dylan's song about the hurricane, it's Patterson. If you watch the movie, The Hurricane, they filmed the scene right in front of the church that I grew up in, right in front of Northside Chapel. And so the church was, the church in, in the 60s, there was some young Dutch white CRC kids who wanted to experience this vision of 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 integrated church African Americans and white folks and it's it's African Americans who had been loved by that church and liked the Bible teaching and wanted an alternative to the large black churches that were available in Patterson and they came into the church and of course this was what I grew up in um, heroin was going through Patterson. It was a big deal. So our church along our church was always partnering with the other CRCs in the neighborhood and in the community and then started a, a drug rehabilitation program, had a lot of like similar to to Livingstones, had a lot of people who struggled with with drug addiction, mental health issues. We had we'd have some wild things go on in church, although my mother swears that uh, Livingstones is wilder still when it comes to all my stories. And so going to church with, you know, people who are trying to recover from heroin addiction and alcohol and people struggling with mental illness and, you know, people, some people were very accomplished and, and had money and, and they, they just wanted to go to a place that was authentic and real. You know, it's so funny. People say they want authentic in church. And I say, yeah, come to this church. You'll get authentic. Usually way more than authentic than most people want. No, give me a little veneer, please. Uh, at, at least have the place, at least have the place look a certain way and act a certain way. And part of the reason I keep the Freddie and Paul show on this channel is because the Freddie and Paul show is just one little taste of what local ministry is.
with Freddie and Paul and some of the other characters, and Phil, Philip Fast, the Jesus man, the people that come on the channel. This is what people are like. And, and so often in American culture, in this world of screens, we have all of this veneer. We have all of this posturing. We have all of this posing. And so, yeah, I've never, I've never gone to a church. <laughs> I, I've never gone to a church that looked overly respectable or even sane. I, I like my churches slightly insane, and um, I, I, I run the risk of offending some of my some of my people by saying that. But I like churches that that are real. That um, yeah, yeah. So I again, I love this conversation. This is a great conversation. It's awkward, you know what I mean. And so it's like that. Those churches kind of turn me off. And so we found a church too that was um, where people seem to be normal. Like I just want to meet normal people and talk normal conversations. You know what I mean? And so um, and then learn like a normal person. You know. And so like I think like now, now this was a big part of the seeker movement, and the seeker movement continues to be with us. This is a big part of the mega church movement because one of the one of the powers of Protestantism. It's a great conversation between what's the guy's name Orland and and Jordan B Cooper on Protestantism. I, there are dozens of videos I want to make videos on because there's so much good stuff out there right now. I'm I'm still I've still got some ideas about how to try to integrate that. And I'm way behind in everything that I want to do by virtue of when my wife is off from school, I don't take Rando's conversations during those weeks so that I can be a little bit flexible so that if my because normally when my wife is a school teacher and so we're locked down during the school year Monday through Friday and then I work on Sunday so the only day we usually get a chance is a Saturday or if it's a even if it's a long weekend Sunday is right in the middle of Saturday and Monday so the the pastor teacher combination is kind of a hard one even though it's not uncommon anyway where was I going with this oh yeah maybe I'll get a chance to catch up on those um on my during my wife's winter break on getting some of these video projects done and what was that oh the seeker movement the seeker movement so the seeker movement was all about addressing exactly what he said the seeker movement was all about basically using marketing tools because all of these sensitivities that these two individuals were bringing to their church shopping, church planters know this. And so what that meant is that all of these tools that are sort of adjusted culturally. Now, there's good things and bad things to that. The good thing is people who are looking for a church, it's, oh, this is a church like me. And, you know, Living Stones is obviously very um, ethnically you know, African Americans and and just like Northside where I grew up in, and so if you if you're African American and you come to a church, it's really hard to be the only African American. Uh, Living Stones is also very old, so it's kind of tough on the young people because if you come to church, it's really hard being the only young person, or it's really hard being the only old person. So part of what these secret churches did is is leave a whole bunch of sort of demographically isolated churches at least for the first 10 or 15 years of the church usually after 10 or 15 or 20 years the church would begin to um, take on other age ranges but the other side of this though is is that sometimes churches that are completely different so in the early years of this church this church here was planted by uh, crc people that had transplanted to sacramento 
the particular church planter noticed that there was a lot more response here in this neighborhood, which was significantly African-American because after redlining stopped in the 50s, this was a development in the 60s, a lot of state workers, African-Americans could work for the state um, because there was less uh, discrimination in terms of working for the state. So a lot of them lived in this community and the first church planter here found a lot of responsiveness from the neighborhood. And then uh, the second minister to come here, his name was Earl Marlink, who um, retired and came back here and was a dear friend of mine until, until his death uh, not very long ago. Earl Marlink came here because he had been in Chicago and there was real tensions in terms of segregation in Chicago in the CRC. And so he came here because he wanted to experience basically what I grew up just innocently benefiting from, which was the the ministry in Patterson, but he wanted to see, okay, can African Americans and and white folks minister, you know, work together and form a church? And in fact they did. But for many of the African Americans who came into this church, it was kind of a struggle until you sort of get enough African Americans in church and in the leadership and have the church sort of accommodate to that, but not too much because if you want a full black church experience, there are plenty of black churches in the neighborhood that can do that. And that's why Northside and Patterson and this church in Sacramento were always sort of alternative churches for a lot of people. And that's that's part of the struggle of this church is because every now and then you'll get someone who's sort of an innocent church hopper and they come in and they're like, what, what kind of a place is this? You've got a You've got a schizophrenic kind of walking around, you know, waiting for the coffee service to open. Um, you've got, uh, it's, it, it, it can look a little crazy. I, and, and it's really crazy on vacations. There was one week when, you know, I'd get these other CRC ministers to come in and preach for me. And young man comes in with a bow and arrow slung around his back. And the preacher's just like, is, is this safe? And it's like, well, it's, it's probably not terribly safe, but... You, you'll probably be okay. But again, this is, this is exactly the kind of context I grew up in. And so when I first got to this church, everyone was worried, well, how's Paul going to react to all these people? And it was like, this is the kind of church I've always been to. So um, no, not, not, I don't find it scary at all. Like, um, I think especially for us, like as millennials, I think like we want like just authenticity, like people that are just authentic and authentic community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say authenticity, but um, there's 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 lots of different kinds of authenticity. You know, but I agree. I mean, it's it's been tough for me too, like just to kind of not only just feel like I belong, you know what I mean, but also be able to feel like I'm um, gonna learn something too, and I'm not just hearing like yeah. completely like anecdotal, like you know, just stories or something that's like mostly story. Like I like to learn when I go to church too, which. I don't know how most people are, but anyways, yeah. So I, I always had a kind of an uncomfortable relationship with church as well. So, okay, that's and, and again, his point. You know, I like to learn when I go to church. That's a that's a huge difference. Some people go to church for the liturgy. Some people go to church for the music. Some people go to church for the learning. And anybody who you know follows my channel or knows my church or has watched my sermons know I'm kind of a learning preacher. And you can watch my Sunday school class. It's that's. It's, it's part of the personality profile. And so finding a church is, is part of matching those profiles. That's good. I think one of the reasons I talked to my dad about it too, because he talks about like, he talks about the importance of community and everything. This part is really fun. And my mom, um, she's Catholic at the moment. She's been going to church and 
um, I was like, I can't do it. And he, he was like, yeah, the reason we never went to church, like we, we weren't, he, we were always taught the psychological significance of the Bible. Yeah. Well, United Church of Canada, the time, Stan Vanderclay had been up there, could have been interesting. Well, not the Bible being real. Like that's what, that's what uh. I was taught. Um, but he was like part of the- That's a crazy thought. You know, if my father had taken the job in Northern Alberta, who knows? Who knows? But then, you know, the providence of God, you know, if probably if Jordan had grown up in a in a church, he might not have been able to do the kind of, I think, very important work he's doing now. And again, this is, okay, I'm a Calvinist, all right? But, you know, as Jacob continues to remind me, it's not just Calvinists that have very deep sense of God's providence. Um, God gets to God gets to write stories in this world through us. And again, what I love about this video is it's honest, it's authentic. This is this is the process. And and I know bunches of you have and it's just as bad with church people because they think, oh well, you know, you tell them the four spiritual laws. Many church people have almost zero experience with the process by which people come into the church and become Christians and get put on that path. And so that's why this church, this, this video is cool. The reason we didn't go to church was because they're just like, it was fake. It felt fake. It felt like people yeah. posturing. It felt fake. And yeah. I couldn't stand it. And I was yeah. like, okay. That yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, like, it's, yeah. I, I think I would have probably like, if I'd gone to or been introduced to a community of people, maybe, I was pretty skeptical, so maybe it wouldn't have worked. But as yeah. a kid, instead of kind of timing, timing, timing is everything. The the churches that just feel a little, <laughs> yeah, like Ned Flandery and Ned Flanders ish ish, yeah. but like okay, okay, so that's normal. That's good. Uh -huh. And maybe yeah, from not being in yeah. it, yeah, from not being in it, maybe less tolerance for that. Just get yeah, okay. Agreed. Cool. I agree. Yeah, I was going to ask too, like, what was it like? I, I've always kind of been curious. Like, so if your dad kind of has more of that psychological perspective, I, have you seen my video, my videos on your dad? Any of them? I know. I saw one pop up on YouTube. I haven't watched it though. <laughs> YouTubers don't watch everything on YouTube. <laughs> okay. Okay. No worries. Okay. Because I kind of analyzed kind of his perspective, but do you think like and it's impossible to watch all of the videos about jordan peterson including the subset of those from christians including i i just you know so there's um, someone just complained about the the number of jordan peterson videos that have come out lately on my channel it's kind of like it's going to be that way for a little bit sorry i i want to i really want to sink by gonna sink my teeth into that exodus series it's going to be that way. And Jordan's been putting out some really good videos lately. The conversation with the, um, the doctor about, about the, um, about the psychedelic drugs. Boy, there's a ton in there. There's, I still haven't done much with the Matt Ridley video. There's just so much video content out right now. So, so I don't know if you've seen my videos about your father. I, I actually did watch that one. Your perspective differs from his in that sense. 
um, because you have more of like an objective kind of view of Christianity, right? Like this yeah. actually happened. Is that right? That's what I thought. Oh, I so want to re-tinker with their language on this, but I, I will, I will, I will try to be good. And what, what do you think causes that, caused that difference? Just kind of curious. Um, so I think dad goes back and forth. I think the longer he's talking about it, the more he's moving towards the objective view. Okay. Um, I think understanding as much about psychology as he does, there yeah. are, I mean, there's psychological significance to the Bible and yeah. I believe it's objective, right? Yeah. So okay. like there's yeah. psychological significance, like every aspect of the Bible in multiple ways, yeah. plus plus it's objective. And so yeah. I think he probably got wrapped up in in the psycho psychological significance. And and honestly, if you're if you have more of a scientific background, um we were told for a very long time that like science if you believed in science, then you couldn't believe in the Bible, which yeah, I think is ridiculous. Yeah. Like I don't think that yeah. that was necessary at all. Like those two things yeah. didn't have to be polar opposites. Um, yeah. so I, th I think he got wrapped up in that, but I also think that he's writing, he's writing a book at the moment called we who wrestle with God. Um, oh, cool. yeah, really that's, it's going to be intense. Um, and he thinks he can yeah. disprove. I am way more excited about that, that book than 12 more rules for life. Way more excited. Of atheism. So <laughs> I would, I, um, oh, cool. I don't want you to miss this line. Yeah, that's, it's going to be intense. Um, and he thinks he can yeah. disprove atheism. So <laughs> I would I would say yeah. he's whatever direction that that's in, he's going yeah. in. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Book. He, well, because it seems like he has a um, I think he's done a talk on it. I haven't watched it, though, but on the problem of perception, which is a kind of like a philosophical problem of how do you get from the subjective to the objective? And so when I've heard a lot of his stuff, it seems like that's where kind of the barrier is. It's like, okay, we have the psychological world, the narrative world, I think he calls it. John, John, we've got videos for you. <laughs> a lot of times too. But then how do you go from that to like, what's objective, what's external of your consciousness and your conscious perception. And so I think um, that's what seems like that holds him back, where that's not probably not necessarily a barrier for you in that sense. It's not holding him back. And we're we're all dealing with the recession of modernity together so yeah yeah we've got videos we we've we've got conversations we're, we're we're doing our own little work over here in our little corner i think it wasn't a barrier for me um because so many strange things have happened to me like e even as a kid yeah. i was so i was so sick i was suffering so much yeah. i can remember like when I was, when I had my hip and ankle replaced and I, I was in like, I was in so much pain. It was unbelievable for an entire year, like broken bones, but like not able yeah. to be fixed. And yeah. I remember thinking at that point that like something had to be real. Like I didn't know if God was real, but that amount of pain and suffering, like something evil had to be real. Um, and and then things were just have been super weird with my life like being that ill like unbelievably stupidly like job level ill 
I remember right, reading Job yeah. and being like, I've got a lot of those things going on. Like my family hasn't <laughs> died, but like a lot of those things are going on. And then having like fixing it with a diet that like nobody believed, right? And like, what is that about? Mm -hmm. And then I, 20, 30 years from now, they're gonna write biographies of Jordan and you know, and then a little longer, of course, because Mikhail is younger. Uh, this story is so good. This story is just so good. And it's, and there've been many times where I thought, okay, the narrative sort of played out. It's kind of spent. And then there's another turn and off we go in a new direction. And this is why God writes the best stories. Truth is stranger than fiction. Having my mom yeah. get really sick and then my dad get really sick and then my dad get famous for like, it's just things have been so absurd that it's like, yeah, well, that yeah. stuff could have happened. <laughs> it seems logical. Yeah, yeah. Life's, life's pretty weird. Yeah, yeah, that is because you you have had a different life. Like, you know, I was thinking even like, I was thinking what it'd be like for you to do to like, you're living your life and then all of a sudden your dad like explodes in a social consciousness like out of nowhere. See, that would throw everything off as well too. And yeah. then it's like all the stuff you went through as a kid and the autoimmune um, aspects that you had to, and then trying to new diet that nobody else is, um, you know, people think you're probably like, they're like, what is that? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. so that would be, so it makes sense to me why, like you kind of like, you start, start processing things a different way. Yeah. The other thing I do think contributed to this, and I've had some like negative feedback about this, but I did do, and this was, well, mostly because I was interested in them, but I did do psychedelics quite a bit. I haven't done right, them in a yeah. while, but I did do them quite a bit. And I think that. Oh, the psychedelic conversation isn't going away. I got some real, I know I'm going to get pushback that I'm, my openness is showing that conversation he did with that one guy. Um, now I'm going to have to talk more about psychedelics because on the, well, maybe I can pull it up. This, this, this was, this was a great conversation on existential delight i i talked to him i was like number three and he's been doing stuff in chesterton so i i hadn't you know i've talked on so many channels i never quite always know where they are and what's happened with them but it, the channel's grown nicely he's done a he's done a great job and then he went into the psychedelic conversation with jonathan so i i think anything you can recognize as having being you know uh had that i went through like many guys my age i'm 27 now but like many guys my age, I went through the new atheism phase and a lot of guys are still there. And some of the guys are now finding themselves drawn to religion in many varieties. But then um, for me, I actually, in the interim, I was immersed in the world of, believe it or not, psychedelics. It's actually through one of those experiences where I had a experience. Oh, there, there, there was a cut there in the video that did, did, did did poor Jonathan make a face? No, I don't, I don't think he did. Experience of, of kind of seeing uh, very much present meaning in, in front of me. I won't go into too much detail. And when I say this to people, some people get nervous because they think I'm about to say something like, you know, you should, you know, psychedelics are the reason that I came to see the meaning in the world. And as a consequence, I came to eventually see God. And as a consequence, eventually came to know Christ and then, and you know, and so on and so forth. But I would say, you know, for every one of and poor Jonathan's probably sitting there. Like, oh, no, another psychedelic conversation. 
<laughs> just watch the Four Horsemen video with Verveke and Peterson and Jonathan and Bishop Barron, and it's like, it's like, you know, churches, the church has infused us with antibodies against psychedelics, and so it's like, you watch that in the Grim Grizz videos when when Grim's talking, he's like. <laughs> two guys that that went through that and got out uh there's eight or nine guys that are still there and many people i still know who are still stuck in that world yeah um i think in some ways the psychedelic mm. kind of community if i could use that word um they seem to me uh almost on the very fringe of 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 uh full-on um religion yeah but in a way, and Paul Vanderklaar actually talks about this in one of his recent videos, he says it's actually more dangerous, this view, than the uh, pure new atheism. Because at least the new atheist view, uh, the person is kind of close to things and you know what they're close to. So you must have been my video about um, Aubrey Marcus and Jonathan Peugeot can begin to understand why they see things that way. But it's <clears throat> almost like talking, you know, talking to a Hindu who says Christ is Christ is Lord and they say yes he's one of many lords you know it's this kind of dissolving of all the categories and accepting just everything right yeah and the mind is so open that I think it was Chesterton who said the point of opening your mind is um is like opening your mouth so that you can close it again on something solid um mm -hmm. But that, that might take a long time, right? You might never get to that. Keep that in mind. I, I really want to dig into that conversation with Peterson and the, the guy studying uh, psychedelics in the lab. Fascinating conversation. So much good stuff in there. That point. I know the psychedelic question is, is, is a difficult one and people are wrestling with it a lot these days. Do you see it as like a passing phase or do you <clears> see it as something that in the next 10, 20 years is going to be a serious uh point of contention between people yeah the second one <laughs> i i think i think it's 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 going to I, I think both actually to increase and um it's something we're gonna have to talk about and deal with deal with and so it's it's an ambiguous question it's an ambiguous thing like like you said i've met now several people that have become just become christian because of psychedelics in the sense that they they had an experience which overwhelmed them, and then it led them to to God um, and to the church. But I've also, like you said, met people who have been have become almost psychotic or seem to have lost it because of of that overwhelming experience. So, and, and in all fairness, I know people who have become, in some ways, seriously disabled. And I'm I'm not a doctor. I don't know why the connection, but I do know that it's it's as I said in my other in my video on prayer. Don't try this at home. So I think that in it's an ambiguous thing, and it's there's it's this it reflects the ambiguity of what I call this new reenchantment. You know, there's a kind of because of the types of things that I talk about. You know, the fact that people can listen, although there's still new atheists that think I'm just saying gibberish. But the 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 fact that there's now an increasing amount of people that can listen to what I'm saying and they they understand what I'm talking about, like that is astounding to me. It's still astounding because 20 years ago, 
there was no one to talk to. Like there was just no one I could talk about these things with without talk except his brother. About these things with without them thinking that I was just kind of weird or or or, or you know or saying nonsense. And so so it's so there's this moment now through Jordan Peterson, John Ravecki, but then there's other people. It's all kind of happening at the same time. It's 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 it really is like almost like a zeitgeist, right? A spirit of the time um, that can understand that, but it has a light and a dark side to it. And so, mm-hmm. because the the reenchantment means that religion's coming back, folks. Like religion is coming back. There's no way around that at this point. Now the question is, what religion and what kind of religion is going to return? And so we can see the inklings of it kind of push. And it'll be different. It'll be it'll be same and different. That's the way these things work. Back into the world, you have things like Burning Man. You have things like, um, you know, kind of woke religion, you could say, or ideologically driven celebration and uh, and circumambulation. We have these almost kind of divine, like the worship of the of the drag queen or like they're different. Type, there are types of behaviors that are you know, kind of manifesting the need, like the desire that people have. Again, uh, it's in, unconscious for religion to kind of flood back in. We saw a lot of religious tropes during COVID, like a lot of religious tropes were just kind of flooding back in. So it's it, mm-hmm. it's just going to keep growing. And I think, but it's a lot of it's going to be very dark. But some of it, once in a, once in a while, it's, it's actually making it possible, like opening the opportunity for people to then maybe see the better, the light side of, of that, right? Which is a, a possibility of an integrated symbolic world, which is aimed towards the good. So I think that psychedelics is just one more facet of that, where it has the same effect, where most of the time seems to kind of lead people into exactly what you said, a kind of deconstruction or, you know, it it's like an, but it's weird because it's always very contradictory. Uh, you yeah. know, but this idea like everything goes like, you know, I'm a universalist, right? So so I I, I had, you know, I, I all religions have something and therefore I'm nothing, right? Therefore, I don't mm-hmm. follow any religion because secretly I'm saying that I'm above all of them. Like, I, you know, it's like that no one would say that, but that's what it ends up looking like. Um, and so you see that. It's like when I listen to... Uh, like uh, some of the modern Terrence McKenna and and Alan Watts and these kind of guys, and it's like that's what it feels like. There's a lot of what they're saying sounds like that. It's you know, it's like I'm I'm too good for these religions. You know, it's like I have I have I have the so I I see a lot of that, but we'll see. Look, I don't I I I've said many times what I think about psychedelics is that I think it's dangerous. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's evil in itself. And I think that there are once in a while, it seems to definitely be something that manifests. It's participating in this, in this thing, but it's, it's dual, it's ambiguous. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think the ambiguity is the biggest, the biggest problem is you really never know what you're going to get. Um, it's, it's also because people are attached to the psychedelics. This is the biggest problem. I would say like the biggest problem with psychedelics is the psychedelic in the sense that mm. people think that that's what spirituality is. And so I keep telling mm-hmm. people, because if you listen to that guy, I forget his name, the guy, the guy who wrote about Eleusinian mysteries and all this stuff, like Jordan had him on his channel. 
he, yeah, like, I know he had the clean now. Like we know that Soma was a psychedelic. We know that that the 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 the, the drink that they they had at the Elysian Mysteries was a psychedelic. And so we've got it. It's psychedelic. That's the key. And it's like you know what, the Elysian Mysteries lasted three days, right? And it was like three days of heavy rituals. Probably you didn't eat. Probably you didn't sleep. It was like massively taxing and engaging on you. And if at the end of that, maybe there was some kind of psychedelic. Well, well, you would have had slaves and all sorts of other things that you have in the ancient world too. Um, you know, you're gonna we're gonna bring all of that back as well. I don't think so. It's like only a modern person would then look at that and say, "Well, we got the formula. This is it. This is the <laughs> chemical formula for spirituality. This is the God formula." And so, just take this pill, just take this mushroom, yeah. and you're gonna have the same experience. And it's like, it's like no. And it's the same with the shamans. Like shamans were initiated and there was like they would they wouldn't just spread this stuff around like they just didn't have tourists come and then then initiate them into their shamanism it was an ex excruciating process probably a lifetime process and if there was some psychedelic involved in that you can't reduce it to that everything else by this point the dude's like oh, i'm not sure why i brought up psychedelics now it's probably way more important than the substance that they would end up taking like you said, because it it had to be directed, it had to be framed, it had to be brought in a line so that it would yield the fruits, let's say, if it was just ripping off. And I think part of why I really appreciated that video of Jordan's with the doctors getting it, because Dor Jordan delved more deeply into the, the process, the the psychological impact of these drugs, what they do physiologically, and why they do what they do. But as Jonathan is saying here, it's not neutral. And, and that's part of what's been emerging from this conversation as well. Off the veil, then it would have give, you would have gotten all the discernment you need in order to, to be able to, to deal with what it is that you encounter. And that's why in the Christian tradition, like those states are attained through through prayer, through fasting, through, you know, you know, through rigorous ascetic practices, because those ascetic practices make you what you need to be in order to encounter those realities. And so, yeah, I think it's probably the best way to understand it, that that's, that's probably with the biggest problem. So, you, you know, you go to some, you just get the pill and you take it and it's like, yeah. Yeah. And and there is a kind of synthetic uh, role-playing of the shaman figure that I used to notice when I would attend, um, you know, I would go to festivals where people would, you know, take uh, LSD or they would take mushrooms or these things. And you'd meet a guy who's, you know, sitting alone in the corner and he's dressed like a shaman. He's He, he, he talks deliberately in a certain way to try and, I don't know if he's trying to convey some kind of an image to you or trying to kind of convince him. The, the truth is set and setting right now. Um, if you want an authentic set, set and setting in 2022, you're probably going to be at John, La, John Hopkins with a dude in a lab coat because isn't that, isn't that in some ways analogous to the guy sitting um, over in the hut, you know, wearing feathers? himself that he's there but i mean this guy i mean he paul and i could have you know grown up down the street from me or you know he's from you know the city next door and he's 
I mean, the closest thing he's gotten to full-blown shamanism is maybe some kind of side quest in a Skyrim, you know, while playing Skyrim or some other video game. And it's almost like this desire to embody something that you don't really understand. And uh, you think that you have, you, you kind of hinted at it, but you, you feel you have some kind of secret knowledge, this esoteric knowledge, really, that that um, that makes you unique. And I, I think it, it's it's a very... It's a very um, risky thing to do because you can very easily become inflated and you can very easily fall into the sense of pride and you almost, in a way, deny your humanity, deny your sin um, because you, you need to appear. You desire context. This links back to the authenticity part of the conversation between John and Michaela. To other people, like you have everything together and that you're all wise and that you know everything, when in reality, you absolutely don't. Yeah, and which hilarious is if you if you read the ascetic fathers, they tell you, ignore all spiritual experiences. That's to say, hmm. and they're not saying you're not going to have some. They're saying, yeah, you will have. You'll have your spiritual experiences. You have all the experiences. Ignore them. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's the total opposite of the psychedelics guy. It's like the psychedelics <laughs> guy is just like, oh, I had this religious experience, I had this vision. The ascetic okay. fathers is like, yeah, visions, ignore them, ignore your visions. And it's like, and it's weird because, it's like. Nonetheless, these visions end up feeding the entire culture of of uh, of the church, right? And so it's like we have celebrations. We have moments where we celebrate the protection of the mother of God, where someone fell into a trance and had a vision of the mother of God, like holding a veil over the city. And so it's like it's actually the visions do end up feeding the, the whole culture. But in your experience, if you have a vision, ignore it. Completely. It's, it's almost like psychedelics are becoming the idol of our times, like the main idol. Um, it's very interesting to say that the, the obsession with psychedelics themselves, you know, somebody takes. All right. So, 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 so enough of the sidebar on psychedelics. Back to the back to the conversation. Really? And I'm not saying that's the way to do it. People are yeah, like, well, yeah. that's not how you have to do it. I'm like, yes, I agree. But I think for me, for me, it like put me in. A She's already being indoctrinating and indoctrinated into evangelical culture. It's like, okay, so the, the veneers are going up. And that's just the thing with the authenticity question is that the longer that you're in, you acculturate. You acculturate. That's not a bad thing. It's, it's, a, it's a normal process of becoming part of a community. But once you get deeper into the community, you begin to realize that, oh, you just met someone in church and they're wearing nice clothes and they look all normal and everything's fine. And then you dig into a little bit and, oh, 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 this is your second marriage. Oh, what happened in your first marriage? Where, where were you? What did your father do? So you see the veneer and people walk into church and they don't know anything about the church because they're not a part of the community. And they see the veneer and say, well, everyone's so so made up and pretty and acting in a certain way. Yeah, they are. But, you know, when you go into the DMV, you act a certain way, too. And when you go into the airport, you act a certain way, too. And part of going into a place is you take on something of the spirit of the place and the act of the place and you assign a thing. But once, if you're into a community, that's the whole idea behind initiation. Once you get into it, now you know that, yeah, everybody's everybody's looking prim and proper, but he's crazy and she's an alcoholic and there's a saint over there that you never would have imagined. That's the church. In a state where... I was seeing things that aren't there, and uh, mm -hmm. and that I don't for whatever reason it was like well, those experiences probably led me to believe God was a possibility because 
you can't see him exactly, right? Right. You can yeah. kind of yeah. see things that happen, kind of, but like you have to. Again, this this is I love this conversation. They're they're doing the work. They're doing the work. Believe. I, I I'm sorry if that sounds woke to some of your ears. That that that, that doing the work was around long before the whole woke thing. There isn't like, that's, I think one of the things I didn't understand until more recently was there isn't like, at least this is, and I still believe this, there isn't some definitive proof that everyone is going to believe that like, oh, well, here's the proof of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although I think dad maybe in his new book is <laughs> trying to yeah. do something like that. But regardless. Yeah. Uh, my, my my guess is um, Cosmic Skeptic and Sam Harris will, will, will decide to not be blown over because people that's not this what what the process that these two are going through this is how christians are made okay this is how christians are made and everyone there are patterns there but everyone is different idiosyncratic but this is the process like there's you have to suspend judgment a little bit right you have to believe yeah. um yeah. i do think psychedelics helped me do that because they showed me things i couldn't see what yeah. do you think about that yeah. what's what's your opinion no, on those no. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, my, my thinking about it is like, it's almost like everything else. I think all of us need to get out of our own way in some way. Um, but it's like, for example, when people go to prison, right? Like, and then they find God in prison, which happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Being poor, being homeless. So these sorts of things, like God can use these um, different kinds of... Or being sick. They both have stories where they're both sick. ...situations in order to point us to, our, um, point us to himself. And so I think like... Um, it's not a prescriptive thing. I don't, I wouldn't say like people need to go try psychedelics to find God. Right. Because I think that's just the means in which God used, um, through, yeah. cause God uses us through the things like that we do and the things we do wrong. And like all of these different ways, like everything that we do, God can still use any of these things in order to draw us to himself. So I think in that time, um, you know, God just used that, that moment, I guess, in that aspect, um, or at least you were open to it, I guess, from that, you know, and then God was knocking on the door. I mean, so in some ways, so my, my thinking on it is like, I mean, I think that like the Bible tells us to be sober minded. So, um, you know, so whatever that entails, but I don't, I wouldn't say that you should do psychedelics, you know, in that aspect. But um, I think that in this aspect, it's like it was um, God used it for good. You know, he turns all things around for good for those that love him. So this episode is brought to you by. Oh, it's a commercial. The commercial that I, I had a comment from Nathan and about the commercials and YouTube is putting more and more commercials and things that is true and I was talking to actually a friend of mine who does YouTube for a living he's got a much bigger channel and he's successful it doesn't have anything to do with anything in this little corner of the internet and he said he puts in a commercial every 45 seconds YouTube says that what they're supposed to do is sort of you know see how many commercials that they've showed you and and I don't know if any of that's true. It's before the holidays, and so there are just more demand for commercials, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I use YouTube Premium. I use the family thing because it it's it's a much better value. And actually, YouTube Premium, if you got in earlier, they haven't raised the price. If you sign up now, the price is higher. But YouTube Premium, you don't get any of the YouTube commercials, but you do get these commercials. So then you have to fast forward through them, which you can. Um, or again, for those of you who know, there is an audio only podcast of this video of all my videos and the link is below in the notes. You can listen to it on Apple or Podbean or any of your, any of your chosen podcast app. And there are no commercials in the podcast app. So if you mostly just listen, 
you can um, you can you can listen to the audio only podcast. Um, but you know, hey, I I appreciate I appreciate if you have to endure the commercials and I I cut them down. David Fuller told me that he. He had a whole bunch of videos that there weren't any commercials in, and YouTube kept putting commercials in them, and he kept taking them out. So, and and part of the reason I monetized the channel was because YouTube basically said we are going to put commercials in non-monetized videos and even non-monetized channels. It's like, well, if YouTube, if you're going to be playing commercials, and my audience is going to have to be subject to them. I ought at least to get the whatever portion of commercials that um, that you pay the creators. So that's that's a little bit about the commercial. So again, there, there's also my videos are replayed on Odyssey. You can find the link below. That's an alternative video site, and there's no commercials in there, and there's no commercials in the audio only podcast here on YouTube. If you're going to enjoy all of the benefits from YouTube, all of the apps, all of the convenience, I I use YouTube Premium because creators then get a little bit of money from me. And again, I think I pay $16 for five for five of us. So I've got a lot of kids. So some of my kids have have the, uh, have the service too. And then you get YouTube music with it too. So did I just give a commercial for, for YouTube premium? I guess so. Anyway, that's the whole video was, I, I loved, I, I really enjoyed this video. And I enjoyed listening to it, and I enjoyed both of them and their honesty and their stories. And um, yeah, so watch the whole thing, and I hope uh, hope this little video of mine talking about it has uh, also been helpful. So leave a comment. Let me know what you think.